Welcome to Passive Attack, the Asset First podcast. Steve, what did you think when you heard the exit polls last Thursday night? The exit poll does have a good track record, in fact, but I was just looking for further confirmation. So, um, And that confirmation really came, as far as I'm concerned, uh, when Blythe, it looked like Blythe were... Um, going to do a recount I think it was a sampled recount wasn't it so and then just knowing that a, a, a recount of some kind was underway I, I thought oh, it, it was at that point that it, um, it became clear to me that the um, the exit poll was was indeed accurate. I heard the exit poll then I started speaking to clients from the first contact was 6 30 on Friday morning clients who'd been sitting on cash wanting to wait till the markets were jumping up before he jumped in and sure enough, that happened and we did jump in and there's been quite a resounding rise in prices on, on the UK market since then and indeed strengthening of currency. Is it overblown short term? Short term position and long term position views on both for what's going on right now? Well, the short term was uh, the markets pricing in the residuals. So I, I think the markets were not exactly confident, but I, I think the, the markets were reasonably sympathetic to a Tory majority. What they didn't, or, or what was difficult to price in, was the extent of that majority. Was it going to be a slim majority, a workable majority? or a, uh, I don't think anybody really was considering a, a, a majority on, on the scale that they, that they got. So the immediate market reaction in terms of the pound going up in value and domestic stocks doing well and, and indeed doing very well the, the, the further down the capitalisation strata you go. So the FTSE 250 did much better than the, the FTSE 100. That was all more or less in tune uh, with expectations if a Tory majority did materialise. Some uncertainty has been removed. First of all, there's the uncertainty attached to a, a Jeremy Corbyn, uh, John McDonald government um, and the obvious discounts that would have to be driven into the market to accommodate their likely policies. So they've disappeared. Um, seems pretty unlikely that those policy pledges made in that manifesto are going to be are going to be real at least for um, at least for five years, possibly longer. So the the market can discount that. Also, markets were discounting another uncertainty, which was there wasn't a hung parliament, and uh, Brexit now has a pretty solid date. So we know that the withdrawal bill, the chances that withdrawal bill. Uh, aren't pushed through and that we don't leave on the 31st of January are fairly slim now. So there is there is some certainty. However you feel about the, the Brexit project, um, there is now some certainty. So uh, it's, it's, it's the relief and it's the residual of the probability that the uncertainty would be lifted that the markets are priced in in the very short term, uh, as in the immediate effect. So, you, you know, the pound going up, we saw inflation expectations come down, index like gilts did less well than than any other asset. So all of that was is relatively in tune with the circumstances I've just described. And then the slightly longer term, it's difficult to call one year the long term, but at least in, in, in the context of this conversation. So we've still got what the market considers to be a relatively hard Brexit scheduled for uh, for the end of next year. So this is the this is the point. So what we're talking about on the 31st January is the withdrawal bill. Uh, and things remain relative, pretty much the same until... Um, until the end of the year when deadline is is met for the deal or no deal or the second phase of this deal or no deal issue. So uh, the markets still think that there's a reasonable chance that we will leave um, at the end of next year or we will have left and we won't have secu- secured a, a you know, sort of reasonably comprehensive free trade agreement 
Uh, that's what the markets are slightly slightly skittish about. And you can see that some of some of the strong returns that we saw in the immediate aftermath of the election have sort of tailed off a little bit now that um, Boris Johnson is writing into law that there won't be an extension beyond the end of next year. Yeah. So but that, he could unwrite that. He could, yeah, of course. I mean, with a majority the uh, the size that he's got, he could push through pretty much anything. So hmm. that's where we are. So in the, if you ask me, I, I think the benefits of having the uncertainty removed outweigh the potential for the market to worry about not having it. The chances that we get that we come off this cliff edge at the end of next year without no deal of any kind are just vanishingly small in my view. Now, whether we get a fully comprehensive all singing, all dancing free trade agreement is is a is a different matter. But somewhere between the all singing, all dancing free trade agreement and no deal on any issues whatsoever, we're going to be far closer to a, a comprehensive free trade agreement. I know there's some scepticism about the the time scales involved, but we really are starting. What we're starting from is a is a fully comprehensive free trade agreement right now. You know, being a member of the European Union is effectively signs you up to that free trade agreement. What we're really doing is just varying the terms of that free trade agreement. And, you know, since if you want the, the, an example, then since President Trump came in in America, when was he elected? In 2017, was it? 17. So, I mean, he's he's effectively rewritten the NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, on, on reasonably antagonistic terms if you're a Mexican or, or a Canadian um, uh, negotiator. So I, these things can be done in, in reasonably short order, I think. Steve, I want to ask you now about tilts on various asset classes. I just want some short, pithy, sort of snappy internet age answers from you. First of all, looking at equities, developed markets or developing equities, which is your favourite? My favoured position at this moment in time tilts towards developed markets over emerging markets. I still want emerging markets for sure. I'm a long term investor. I'm going to get some good returns there. But for the time being, my tilt would be towards developed markets over emerging markets. Next one, we're favouring developed markets. Large cap or small cap equity? Uh, so on a sort of global scale, um, uh, large cap over small cap. And on a sort of more domestic basis, then uh, sort of mid and small would be my, my favourite position at this moment in time. Thinking further about that, on the UK, uh, where we favour large cap for our medium duration UK equity exposure, how do we square that or should we move, be moving more to, uh, to mid and small cap? Uh, it, it, well, it depends on your starting position. So our positions have more mid and small cap in than our peers. So if you, if you compared the, hmm. we took the FTSE all share uh, index, for example, about 85% of that is large cap and then... The remaining is in is in small and, and mid, with you know most of that being in mid. We start off with with much more in the in mid cap and small cap than that position. So so we've got to sort of tap. So from that starting point, we've favoured large cap uh, to bring it into line with our sort of global allocation. But we we've still got a reasonable amount in in mid and small cap, more so than our peers, I would have thought. So um, so that's how you. you know. Now looking at confidence to uh, various regional equity markets. USA or UK, which one are you more confident on? Oh, confident is a, a, a that's a difficult one. Um, I'm much more confident in the attractiveness of UK equity values uh, or valuations at this moment in time. I think they're a, they're a much more attractive purchase in my mind. Quite when that value manifests itself in higher prices is a is a slightly different issue. Like I said, we've got this 
We've got what the market thinks is a relatively hard Brexit still hanging over us. I I think that value will release, and I, I think UK equity markets might provide a premium on, on global markets moving forward. Wow. Well done, Boris. And then we like UK. We think there's some prospects there right now. What about poor Europe when we leave? Does that detract from the confidence of Europe? Or they've had bad times, but uh, could we be seeing the likes of Germany turning a corner over the next couple of years or so? Yeah, this 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 one's interesting. I'm also reasonably confident that you can buy German equities at attractive prices. Uh, but there's a much bigger question mark about when that value will manifest itself in these higher prices. So, it's, I mean, it's all very well buying value. You have to, um, uh, that has to translate into um, into performance at some stage. So, uh, Germany in particular has got, this isn't even Brexit related, but it's got some political uncertainties. Uh, it's got some industrial uncertainties, some economic uncertainties. So, quite when uh, German equities uh, release that value is, 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 a, is a different matter. So, I'm pretty confident. I mean, I like I like German stocks in particular. I just I'm just not sure when they're going to um, when they're going to deliver on the value that we might put. So you'd have to. I'm sort of confident of the value, but not confident at all of the mechanism for releasing that value. At least in the near term, I think the mechanism for releasing that value would have to come in the form of maybe surprisingly strong economic data. I mean, you might get that, I, I suppose, but um, but it, it it it's not an obvious immediate return. And then of the, the remaining three equity classes we're interested in, which is uh, Japan, Asia Pacific and emerging markets, which is your least favourite of those? On anything like a reasonable time frame, uh, I, I would say I was relatively neutral on all three of those. It, okay. it's, it's difficult to separate the Asia Pacific from the emerging markets. If we, if, if we exclude China from the emerging markets and lump that in with the Asia Pacific... I think that's how I think of those. I'm relatively neutral on all of those. Japan's got some short-term economic issues, likely. I, th- I think the fourth quarter won't be particularly good. They finally increased the, um, or, or provided the, the second half of the increase on the um, sales taxes. That Every time they've done that in the past, it's had a reasonably big impact on consumption and then slowed Japanese growth. So we might have um, might have some relatively poor economic data in the fourth quarter in, in, in Japan. So, But, you know, Against that, we had uh, a surprise uplift in in third quarter data. We've got a really strong uh, government with a very clear structural um, package of reforms. So, you know, there are some good things and some bad things in Japan. I, I think as a as a part of a global uh, basket of equities, Japan certainly has its place. And I wouldn't want to take too many bets as far as increasing or decreasing Asia Pacific versus emerging markets. Um, I would take a relatively neutral position. I, I, I definitely want in Asia Pacific and emerging markets in a retail portfolio. Uh, I'm going to get some good growth from from them in the long term, but uh, you know it's going to be a bumpy ride uh, along the way. So, uh, and timing those bumps is going to be a, a, a really difficult one. So, I mean, if for example we have some meaty good news on the, the trade front between the US and, and, and China, then it's going to make a big difference to that. I'm just not sure that we're going to get anything beyond a relatively superficial agreement in anything like the short term. I think time's too short to go into impeachment and how that might affect things. Well, um, I mean, it could do briefly if you want, because, I mean, it's not going anywhere. Okay, I'll go briefly. In terms of the... It looks like Trump will be impeached, but... Um, so that'll go ahead into the Senate. But for him to be convicted, 
which has never happened. So the impeachment, I think there's been three or four impeachments, maybe. Oh, Nixon, Nixon resigned before uh, he was impeached. Yeah. I think that's true. So that, uh, so this would be, would this be the third? Anyway, it, it's a relatively rare occurrence. And what has never happened is for the Senate to go on and convict president. Uh, so you need a sort of two thirds majority in the Senate. There's a hundred senators. Uh, it's a Republican-controlled House. It, it just seems very unlikely hmm. that if he does get impeached, that it's going to go anywhere beyond there. So, I, you know, I, our baseline forecast is that uh, Trump wins the next presidential election uh, yep. and is around for, for two terms. And the impact, if that's what it is, of Bloomberg coming in, is, is that uh, shifting the odds at all in a way as you see it right now? I don't think I, I think um, it's either Biden or Bloomberg to take the sort of mainstream nomination from for the Democrat. I, th- I think for Bloomberg to do well, you'd have to have Biden step down uh, for mm. one reason or another. So, it, you know, it, it seems likely to me that it will be Biden that, uh, that, that vies for the presidential post. But I don't think it's going to move the dial particularly whether we've got Bloomberg, Warren, or, or Biden, then I, I think it's still a Trump, a, a Trump win. It, it seems to me that Biden is the most likely of those three candidates to. I mean, he is electable. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's a there's a chance. He seems to me that Biden, of those three Democratic nominations that we've just discussed, seems to me that Biden has the by far the better chance of uh, of actually beating Trump. Right back to the uh, quick fire round again. Going on to government <laughs> bonds now. Um, first off, conventional gilts or index linked. Uh, conventional. Are index linked less favourable now, do you think, than they, than they were a few weeks ago? Yeah, I, I think as far as linkers are going, look, it's really difficult because there's a there's a quite complicated interplay between inflation expectations and sort of nominal interest rates at this moment in time as far as index linked gilts are concerned. But certainly in the way what we anticipated was a, a, a strengthening pound, we have a strategy. This is not always true, but this is this is good enough as far as the narrative of the markets is concerned. That um, a strengthening pound will bring down inflation expectations, and with muted inflation expectations, you'd expect a little bit of a um, little bit of pressure on index-linked gilt prices. So that's that, it's it's really all about the pound, and honestly, the pound strengthening particularly hard because of the the, the residual worry in the markets about the um, about a hard Brexit. The pound's up. Uh, so inflation is, is is less of a force. Yeah. Okay. So that's conventional gilts. Next one, short duration, long duration. Yeah, I can go right down the middle and, and, and take a neutral position as far as duration is concerned. It's really difficult to call. I, I think, you know, short-term interest rates, I think the Bank of England will be very keen to get another rate rise in. Uh, it's just justifying that rate rise is going to be difficult for the time being. I mean, Interest rates are 0.75, are pretty close to an emergency rate. I don't see any real emergency at this moment in time, so having rates that low is not particularly justified in my view. I would much prefer to see a more normal interest rate, but the question is how and when can you apply a more normal interest rate? With the economy barely growing, it, 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 seemed, it would be a very difficult ask for, for the monetary policy to agree on, a, on even a 25 basis point increase. So I, I don't see interest rates moving very much at all for the time being. 25 basis points here or there, maybe. But, you know, we're certainly not looking at a, a series of um, interest rate rises anytime soon. Finally, on bonds, sterling or other? So definitely uh, sterling. This is um, assuming that you're taking an unhedged position on the other, yeah. in which case, yeah, sterling for the time. I wouldn't rule out some other. Uh, I don't mind a little bit of a, 
you know, just to hedge out the inflation is one of the one of the key risks as far as we're concerned. I mean, we're running portfolio models for retail investors, and inflation is one of the one of the key risks for investors. So, having an unhedged overseas bond allocation gives us a little bit of a hedge against inflation because. Uh, with high inflation, you'd expect to see the sterling weaken against other currencies, and that's why we hold them. So I, we'll hold them even if we think that sterling is going to continue to strengthen, at least in some proportion, uh, to hedge out those risks. So, But definitely, as far as tilts are concerned, sterling is, is where we're at. Moving away from government to corporate investment grade or sub-investment grade bonds. So I'm reasonably neutral here too. I, I don't see default rates climbing very high. I'm a little bit concerned about the valuations, if you can think of it in that sense. Well, uh, I would be much more comfortable with high yield bonds that are yielding more than they are at the moment. I'm not sure we're getting brilliant risk premium on, on high yield bonds. But given a relatively neutral outlook for interest rates, it, it sort of makes sense to have a relatively neutral uh, position as far as um, our investment grade, some investment grade bond. Just to, a few more caveats is that in on the investment grade side, you do have, if you buy uh, most investment grade bond funds, they've got this this big emphasis on the triple B range, which is right on the limit of uh, of where investment grade stands. Um, so that it, it do have some low level concerns about that kind of thing, but uh, not I'm not so concerned as to move me at this moment in time. Next one, turkey or chicken? Um, turkey, for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. Spoken like a true Brit, true Northern Brit. You wouldn't go for some sort of a, a goose at all. You don't wouldn't entertain goose. Well, in addition to perhaps, but uh, certainly not instead of. Yeah, I mean, like uh, it's traditional, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't go crazy. And then a few words on uh, property for UK investors. Where in the last week or so, we've seen a a run on some of the traditional bricks and mortar property funds to the point where there's a major liquidity problems, people can't get out of them. We have seen in the last week or so falls in um, in REIT values as well, which impacts back onto the non-bricks and mortar property funds that we access here. How closely are the two connected and can we expect to see more of the same for liquid REITs investors? That's a really tough one, but as far as they are very different animals, um, I think, but they are subject to the same sort of flows. Uh, it's not just bricks and mortar commercial property funds that have seen flows out. So UK equities have not been particularly well loved. And I had a few panicked calls from clients as well about um, property funds. It, it should come as no surprise whatsoever to anybody that a bricks and mortar property fund um, suspends trading uh, in its um, in its units or shares. Uh, that is the nature of the beast. I, uh, if you ask me, I, I think maybe monthly dealing or some kind of six-monthly uh, withdrawal agreement, so, something like that is is probably the answer. But there's a big mismatch between the liquidity of the underlying holdings and the liquidity that the fund sort of at least pretends to offer. I, my feeling was that if if no more property funds suspended prior to the election and we got a conservative majority, it seemed to me that the danger subsequently then has passed i think we'll see i think we've, we'll see some flows back into uh british assets and in fact the pound going up is is, is symptomatic of that so i I'm, I'm not sure there's a there's a high chance that we're going to see many more bricks and mortar funds um suspended especially in light of mng's decision to, to knock 30 basis points off the um 
off the ongoing charge. I think that will concentrate the mind of uh, one or two managers on the verge of doing so. But um, longer term, there has to be some kind of resolution to this this liquidity issue. De- offering daily liquidity on, on, on a commercial property fund is, is, is difficult. Um, it's not sustainable. Okay. Um, right. Thank you. Uh, one final one, uh, just before we go, is for diversified investors with a diversified portfolio who wants to just hold one asset class or stock or sector on the outside just as a bit of a punt um, what would you be picking for 2020 where do you think we could make a bit of easy money yeah I, I can never find an exciting answer to these kind of questions it's not really the way my brain works I'm afraid but it if um I, I, FTSE 250 is um is is probably where I'd uh, where I'd go I know you're buying value if you you buy into the FTSE 250 at, at current levels um it seems to me that the mechanism for that value to be manifested uh, is most apparent uh, here, uh, especially in the short term. So, yeah, that, that, that's where it goes. It's not um, it's not particularly sexy, but um, it's sexier than my preferred route. What would you want? What's yours? Short duration bonds, I think. Oh, I'm just going to buy those and bat down the hatches but I hope I'm wrong <laughs> <laughs> okay right well there we go we must wind up now um, thank you Steve and thank you all for listening that's the final one of 2019 we'll catch up again in 2020 thank you very much goodbye <laughs>